You are listening to a production of the Toe Network. This is Laser Knees number 75, All the Sinners Saints. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona. And this is Thief Sentai Lupin Ranger versus Police Sentai Pot Ranger, episode 31, The Repentant Gangler, and 32, A Challenge to a Duel. Our writer for both episodes was Yamatoya Akatsuki, and our director for both was Watanabe Katsuya. And boy, I have to say, I am looking forward to more Yamatoya Akatsuki, because... These were these were some good episodes. Yeah, they really were. And uh, I'm just going to use that as our transition straight into the the overview thoughts because there's some there's a lot of stuff going on in these episodes, which like part of why they're so good because they're meaty stuff you can sink your teeth into. But I, I think for me, the big things going on in these two is that once again we're starting to see that the line between cop and criminal isn't as easy to define as good and bad as we might want to believe. Which, you know, again, that's that's a fun overall theme of the show, not only because it's a useful one, but also because the big old overall motif of having these bits of classic rock and blues music peppered throughout makes me think of this line from the Rolling Stones' Sympathy for the Devil, which is, just as every cop is a criminal and all the sinners saints. Uh, the show is doing a, some exploration in these episodes into the way we wear the hats of hero or villain, which is, again, sort of related back to that overall theme. So the show's starting to move beyond the simple but necessary problem, uh, just just critical examination of the idea of what justice should look like, and has begun to ask as what alongside that who gets to say what right and wrong look like in pursuit of said justice because you, you need a methodology by which you're going to go about it and in these episodes we're talking about what works and what doesn't and much as i feared that our extra hero uh noel would well who turned out to be noel i had no idea who what he was going to be as much as i was afraid he was going to muddy the waters in a bad way He's instead really driving home that the biggest difference between the Pat Rangers and the Lupins is as much about societal roles as it is about what they do. I've said before that neither team, were their roles reversed, would go fully trading places and become basically one another. They're, they're way too different, their core motivations are too different, their core moralities are too different, they just they could not be exactly each other. But at the same time, we are starting to ask what role police and vigilantes have in relation to each other, uh, because the vigilantes, they're clearly acting in contravention of the law, but they have a an end goal that is worthwhile, and one that state actors like the police are not really asked to do very often. So the question becomes, must the police stop them? in these episodes. In fact, that's the climax of 32. <laughs> that's what 32 is about. And while the series doesn't seem likely to give a workable, real-world, large-scale solution to that, that, that conflict, which, I mean, look, to be fair, creating a nuanced and fully thought-out answer to the thorny issue of people taking the law into their own hands in ways that are at least not wholly irresponsible is not the kind of thing 
that can be done in a children's adventure show. There's thousands of years of philosophy and discussion about that, and we still haven't found a thing. I'm not saying I'm mad that this Super Sentai series couldn't fix it. But it's at least refreshing to see them asking some questions about it, where we're asking, okay, what what is responsibility? What's it look like? And we're encouraging a certain respect for those who are tasked with responsibly executing the state's supposed monarch monopoly on legitimate violence, while also stressing that they are said to have a monopoly on legitimate violence, but they do not have a similar responsibility in any sense on the concept of moral responsibility. And that a and we're talking in these episodes that a about how a certain flexibility of mind on the part of the populace towards those ideas of law and justice has a certain value. And that's I mean, look, I think that's a thing for all kids to learn as early as possible because frankly you get to a lot of people who are super gung ho about the letter of the law and they are very frustrating to deal with for me anyway but that's that's sort of my big takeaway yeah i'm gonna spin out on that a little bit because uh blurring that line is a very big part of these episodes and what they choose as the vehicle for that is the idea of choice and we're gonna talk a lot in this episode about how it applies specifically to 31 and 32 but i kind of want to take this section to think about it more broadly because that's kind of what this section is for uh because in rider and sentai through the vehicle of them being hero shows tend to paint good and evil as very inherent black and white concepts the heroes are good and the villains are bad and the best versions of rider and sentai are the ones that start blurring that line and sometimes some of them do it to the point where that line hardly even exists anymore. For example, Forze, where so many of the villains aren't inherently bad, they're just kids that made a bad choice, and when given a second chance, are try and do the right thing. And especially since a superhero just came in and kicked their teen angst in the face until it died. And Man, again, like good. that's, I feel like that's what makes the best riders in Sentai are the ones that I are mean, willing to kind of push that line. Yeah, to to sort of do a, a quick like a, a counter example, not exactly a counter, but Common uh, Rider Kuga, where like yeah, the bad guys they are hella bad, but near the end of you know about halfway through the show, it's like oh yeah, but. We're all people here, and boy, it sucks that we are definitely killing people in pursuit of stopping them from doing a bad thing, which sort of blurs the line the other way, where you could take, like, oh no, everyone is terrible here, but at the same time, it's, look, man, I've got a rider kick. <laughs> That's the only thing I've got. What, what do you want from me? Which is, again, a very... It is a worthwhile thing to examine. Yeah, and... I know this is a line from somewhere or something, uh, but it's just such a common inspirational sort of quote that I can't quite pin down its exact origins. But it's it's kind of a thing of, you can't just be good, you have to do good. 
and it that goes both ways. Everything a person does is a choice. And yes, a lot of what influences people to make that choice are upbringing, personal circumstance, etc. And some people have the deck very much stacked against them in that regard. And of course, that should absolutely be taken into consideration. Uh, you know, the choice does not by any means exist in a vacuum, but it is always a choice that a person makes. And even in the case of the Lupin Rangers, the fact that they are quote-unquote doing bad does is put in the frame of those choices not being in a vacuum. It does come down to their personal circumstance and the fact that they need to steal back the Lupin collection in order to save the lives of completely innocent people that they care about. It's why we're able to sympathize with them and root for them even as what they are doing is societally, societally considered amoral and bad and why they have the police looking to arrest them. And, you know, that's very much the case in Lupin the Third. Lupin is a criminal. He has done bad. He does so many crimes. But he doesn't do crimes to innocent people, which is and why... And in fact, does a lot of crimes to save innocent people. Yeah, which is why we're able to root for Lupin. And in, in the last arc of Part 5, which just recently finished airing, and I just recently finished... Oh um, man, I, I have not yet seen the final episode. This isn't about I, the final episode, so... Okay, good. Uh, this is I, the, the girl who runs the cafe that they lived in. Such a good bit. Where, you know, everyone... For reasons, the whole world has kind of found out where Lupin's been hiding and are starting to get riled up and accuse the woman who owns the restaurant that they live above of harboring Lupin and his group. So Lupin kidnaps her. He threatens her and kidnaps her and then drops her off somewhere and she's like, oh, you just did this so people wouldn't think I was also a criminal, didn't you? And Lupin's like, no, I'm actually, I'm a super bad guy. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, in, in that very facetious way of, like, of course he did this to, to protect her. And that's, that's kind of where this, this cop versus phantom thief dynamic comes from. In, you know, the, the noble gentleman thief. So, the Lupin Rangers aren't inherently bad. And they're still heroes, because if even what they're doing in the immediate isn't exactly good... What they're doing on the whole is still heroic, and they're not doing crimes against innocent people. They're just fighting to take back the Lupin collection from far more dangerous criminals. And even though the Pot Rangers are societally pain societally, that is a hard word to say. It really is. Even though the Pot Rangers are societally painted as good and are, you know, painted as the moral foundation of society by virtue of being the ones that uphold the law, they still make mistakes and sometimes make the less than moral choice. And while we sort of only scratch the surface of it in 31, we do explore a little bit that maybe not every gangler is inherently bad either. They have a potential for good even if we've never seen any of them realize it thus far. The capacity is still there. Which, you know, is, is 
a very important thing to have out there because it, it to go back to Kuga for a second, like knowing that all of the Grongi, they're making these choices. Like they aren't they aren't wild monsters. They are stopping and considering, hey, what is the best way to sow just total panic and horror in all of these soft squishy humans? It it makes them horrible because they're making those choices. Or in uh, a non-Tokusatsu example, well, non uh, anyway, uh, in uh, the the new Star Wars films, uh, in The Force Awakens, one of our heroes used to be a stormtrooper, and that actually kind of makes you hate the other stormtroopers just a little more, or at least make you feel a little more okay about how, you know, they're gonna get mowed down. Because you've seen this guy wake up and snap out of it and choose to be the good guy. And all these other people, seeing him do that, they're just like, nah, dude, we still want to be bad. We're still going to go and oppress people and murder people and be the evil empires and some fascist wannabes. Which, uh, yeah, I think it's a very good very good thing to hone in on, the, that, the way we frame the concept of choice. But um, speaking of things we're going to choose... Here are the things we chose from these two episodes that we didn't think were very good. That's That was not one of my great segues. I'm very sorry. We do the best with what we've got. Yep, yep. Uh, but Sona, why don't you start us off with that? Oh boy, do I hate the Frankengangler. <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. Please don't make me look at it. Please don't make me look at anything that has something sticking into or out of its eye sockets. It was so upsetting any time that thing was on screen in both of these episodes, and I'm just, I'm deeply upset that I had to look at it for any amount of time, especially a lot of shots that focused on its face. Ah, that, yeah, because I was going to ask why, but yeah, the, the screw heist thing was kind of, it was disturbing. Like, it's just, I'm very sensitive to damage to the eyes. And it's, like, it's always just been a really specific thing that I cannot stand to look at. I mean, that's that's fair, because, I mean, eye damage is really, mm, wince, yeah, disturbing, just, bad. I, I hate looking at it in anything. I can't handle it. So, like, as soon as I noticed that it had screws going into its eyes, I'm like, no... Please don't ever put this on screen. Don't make me look at this. It's oh. like I had a really hard time with the worms in Kabuto, because like they're they have fingers going into their eyes. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. <laughs> they it's, are freaky. It's just it's a thing that I can't deal with. So as much as I do really really like Thirty One and the way it played out and the themes explored in this episode. I kind of wish Noel had been honest with Sukasa as soon as he realized what was happening and what collection piece the gangler had. Because I feel like he was in this kind of situation where he's like, I know what's going on, but I really hope that I'm wrong about it for her sake. But with how dangerous that gangler was, he put Sukasa's safety at a really big risk by withholding the information on what was happening. Because if that gangler yeah. had given her his collection piece, like, the night she was like, oh, your stuff got approved, and she was alone in that very small room with him, she could have gotten really badly hurt. He could have killed her. Yeah, it's that's true. 
And it, it is frustrating because, look, Noel is otherwise a pretty cool and thoughtful dude. And then he does stuff like that. I mean, look, I appreciate that he's he is supposed to be read as kind of shady, no matter how high his charisma modifier is, because he's very charismatic. But I really do feel like we're supposed to be like, mm, not sure about that, dude. Or at so, least I, I mean, am. Like, it's definitely... It definitely some, wasn't something he was, like, intentionally doing. No, like, he, but... He wasn't intentionally putting her at risk, but he was putting her at risk, and it just feels like he didn't think that through quite as well as he should have. Yeah, no, it's... I mean, because, like you're saying, he could have at least done, look, I think maybe this is what's going on, I hope I'm wrong, but... Because that would be the responsible thing to do. Because, look, even if he's wrong, and that's not what's going on, and this dude is actually legitimately trying to go straight, like, hey, okay, he was wrong. What a, what a shame. He's been wrong before in the show, and that's why you like him. But it's, just, it, it, like, it's just one of those things where... Tell her so you can be like, hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take it from you. Can you just... We're gonna put you in, like, an observation room and just take it out of the safe and put it on the table so we can see what happens. Yeah, just just to make sure he's okay. But, yeah, it's, it's, I have to agree, he should have at least put the warning out there. And on that, though, that does feed into a thing that, look, it's stupid to be annoyed by, but I'm gonna be annoyed by it anyway. I was frustrated that the Repentant Gangler wasn't actually repentant. Like, it was a good plot twist. Do not misunderstand me. The episode, very good. At the same time, not even at the same time, just the whole idea of this dude becomes as good as he really is bad. Like, that's a neat idea. That's a cool power. That's a good twist for the episode. And also, if we're going to bring up the idea that a person who does bad stuff can change and is willing to try and atone for what they've done. I always want to see it followed through, and it rarely is. Like, there's, there's something insidious and toxic about it when you just sort of come out and say, yeah, criminals, they're bad people who don't change because they can't, because they're criminals. Like, that makes it basically super okay to just say, well, if they're all bad, let's just get rid of them, a la, like, Death Note or something. A la Drive. Which... Frick, yeah. Like, look. So, oh, why did I... I, for a second, I had not been thinking about it, but yes, exactly That's, like Common Rider Drive. literally what happened in Drive. Oh, uh, it's just not a habit of mind someone should be in. And I'm, I'm with you on that. But I actually was really into this take on it because of uh, that nature of choice. Because the gangler never was truly repentant. He was forced by the collection piece he had to be repentant. It's not like he was lying to Tsukasa and pretending to be repentant and that he was, you know, faking being good in order to get something that he wanted he was literally being forced to be the opposite of his nature and so it's not that he can't change or he won't change it's that he didn't want to 
he had no desire to to be repentant. He was in fact so unrepentant in his actions and beliefs that something completely outside of his own capacity for agency forced him to be the most repentant he could possibly be. Like he had no agency in his repentance. No, that's it's very true. Um and I would have loved for it to kind of be a little more towards what you were talking about, I would have loved for this episode to be slightly earlier and then follow it up like 10 episodes later with a gangler that was truly repentant. And, you know, no one really believes it because they had this prior experience and Sukasa's really hesitant because she got really burned on this. But she decides, hey, no, this is... If I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my faith in it again and see if this one really does mean it, and that I'm gonna put my my faith in people and double down and kind of put a nail in the idea that not only is can people change, can someone who's done bad things really be repentant if it's really their choice to be but also kind of doubled down on Sukasa's resolve to put people and their safety above the black and white rule of law. Which, like, look, I, I also wish that would have happened, because that sounds really good, and I don't know, it just, it would be a it would be a very worthy thing to talk about, especially given that the whole thing of the show is cops and robbers. Yeah, and I mean, like, look, we, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, we, we have Drive, which was all all bad on that end and feeds mm-hmm. into the worst of it but there is Daimon Rinko yeah who yeah, had a whole arc about thinking this one dude was repentant because she misread his signals and was so into I want to save this person if they can be saved that she almost died and was still like hey when when the the gremlin arc rolls around later and gremlin's like oh but i still have my humanity she was willing to go like she was hesitant because he he was being a huge creeper but she was very clearly like if he really does have his humanity and can be saved we should probably try until they found out who he was and was like oh his oh, humanity yeah. you... is that he's a the human that was in him was a murderer. <laughs> yep, he's a terrible person. Cool, 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 cool. Like, Rinko is really the ideal here, and I feel like Sukasa leans much more towards Rinko than Shinosuke. Which, you know, good. <laughs> that's that's how this should go. Very very low bar, sadly, but Yeah, I mean like look. It's damning with faint praise, but don't get me wrong, I love Sukasa, just man drive. Yeah, no, Shinosuke is a I, bad person. Yeah, no, it's we're just we're just real not super fond of drive. But we yep. we're and you know, you and me are still burned by drive. We're still really hesitant still about about cops because of that, which is all the more surprising that we love the Pot Rangers so much. Yeah, yeah, because boy, police and Tokusatsu, it's they can go real bad. It's <laughs> clearly. a very, very mixed bag. Yeah. Which I guess, you know, 
make sense because that anyway let's that's a that's a big <laughs> issue i'm not going to get into right now because we don't have all night yeah no you can go back and listen to our drive coverage um and you can listen to me really try and pull for drive and just get repeatedly stabbed in the back by it but going into our problems with episode 32 why does toma keep shooting the down the idea of kogure helping with the uh the status quintuple I mean, like, I get that Kogure most likely wouldn't do it, but also, like, the guy works for Lupin. He's probably got some moves. I just wish that instead of, like, Umeka keep, like, bringing it up repeatedly and Toma just being like, no, I wish Kogure had shown up and kind of said no for himself. It just, it is a shame, because I imagine there's a reason to it. I imagine the actor was busy or something, but... It just, it still would have been fun to just have him, like, pop out of different places. Like, just stick his head around different corners in the restaurant just be like, not gonna happen. See, I don't know, I don't know if he was busy, because he was still in the episode. He was, wasn't he? Yeah, he was at the end of the episode, so I I wish he'd kind of just popped in and been like, like, Umika had brought it up and he's just, like, over in the doorway, like, no, I'm not gonna do that. And then just, like, walks out of the shot. Yeah, hey guys, that's not my job. That's what you're for. Bye. But we need your help. There's we need five at once. Well it's it's nice to need things. Get me my collection pieces. But I don't go in the field. Bye. It would be yeah. It would be good. And I, I also understand why Keitro is so frustrated and so against helping the thieves, because, you know, there's an thieves. incredibly dangerous feral gangler running around that they can't beat, and that's a crazy threat to public safety, so of course he's gonna be panicking a little bit. But part of his reason for not working with the Lupin Rangers is, like, in his words, how many gangler the Lupin Rangers have let get away, which, to my memory, is exactly zero. Yeah, that that caught me off a bit, too, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I guess his reasoning is that because they just take the thing and then sometimes they bail, the gangler's alive or rampaging for just that much longer or however much extra time it takes them to get the thing yeah i don't like i see where it's coming from on a theoretical basis but that's not what we see happen week in and week out yeah like i i get that that's like his reasoning but he's watched them defeat gangler and anytime the pat rangers have had to do it it's not really because the lupin rangers just like didn't feel like it and got their treasure and left it's usually because Good strikers like, hey, I'm feeling the Pot Rangers today. I'm gonna go with you guys. Like, yeah. there's been literally zero gangler that have just been left to escape. Like, that just yeah, isn't just... what happens. It is not. Okay, look, the actual set where Noel and Keitro have the duel is such a good set, and I love that set. It is hard for me to ever take it seriously because that's where Gaim's stone couch is. <laughs> And that perpetually ruins any sense of tension I get from a scene that's on that set. Because it's, like, it's such a bleak, ominous set with this really cool lighting and these, like, really good visual structures. And it was super cool for the Cronus fight and really set the mood for this duel between Noel and Keitro. But I know that stone couch is, like, right over there and I cannot take it seriously. I can't do it. No, look, that's fair, because honestly, that Cronus fight does not help it any, because on some level, 
that that Cronus fight, this set, is the place where Nico got put in the corner, even though she earned the right to that fight, and her not getting that fight is completely at odds with the lore of the show. That's why they get the bad ending, because NPCs don't get to beat the end boss. That's not how games work. I really wish they'd just at least let her try. Even if, like, Taiga had to come in and finish it for yeah, what, whatever dumb reason. Like, at least let her do any of the fight. She yeah, didn't like, get to let... transform at all. Yeah. Again, it would have been just simple do the thing where it's like, ah, yes, now I will trade in my NPC tokens to you know, use them as a summon. Yeah. Or some, some Kingdom Hearts nonsense in there. Do it. But, I, look, I will say, I am, however, glad that this fight happened there, so that they can start trying to put it back into the cool, imposing place sort of slot it should be. But, like, wow, are they going to need some more awesome fights in there to cleanse the place of all its, of all its just ambient sins? Like, maybe hire an exorcist? Is there, is there like, a bad plot exorcist you can bring in to just pull some of that dark energy out because I think they should. I mean, you could call Onari. Yeah, see, he just him being there would just make it better. I mean, Period. He, he just is an exorcist. Through. That's true. That's, yeah. Um, but I think that's it for our bad stuff, yeah? Yeah, it's not, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot of problems. Well then, let's let's get into the good stuff and, and talk about the stuff we enjoyed. Um, I really love the the setup of Noel and Sukasa in thirty one, and I think it's actually really interesting and a cool framework of getting the two of them to see eye to eye. Agreed. Like, look, I know I had my harumphs about sort of the way the episode spun out, but all those aside, like, it is a really smart way to give them their focus episode. Because I've I've been wondering how they were gonna do it. Um, especially since Tsukasa's seemed a little distrustful of him, but they've already had an episode about with Noel and Kyrie that was about trust. So I've I've been wondering how they were going to handle this, and I think the thing that I really love is that you know between the two of them, Tsukasa's the one playing good cop and Noel is the one playing bad cop. When you'd kind of expect it the other way around, because Noel is very whimsical and just kind of follows whatever he feels like doing to get the collection back while and you'd expect him to kind of maybe butter the gangler up and try and get him to turn it over in exchange for his freedom or whatever and Sukasa is the more level-headed and serious about her job and is the one that's really more focused on stopping the ganglers and but it also makes a lot of sense when you kind of break down who Sukasa and Noel are cuz Noel would be the least likely to outright trust a gangler especially one that still has a collection piece since he's the one that knows the most about the collection and Sukasa being the most level-headed and serious about her job would want to believe someone who comes to the police wanting to do right and asking for help hmm. and even Yoshi himself says that Tsukasa is a lot nicer than he thought she would be, and that catches Tsukasa somewhere between smug and defensive. And I just, I really love Tsukasa's characterization, and I think it's such a great idea for a pink ranger, and I'm, I'm such a fan of the tough but vulnerable pink, and I appreciate the way they've put her together. Like, she feels like such a real person. She does. 
she gets to do a lot of stuff in this episode that's that's really entertaining to watch and lets her actress do a lot of really interesting stuff, which, like, look, I'm a big fan of. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they this this writer does right by her. It really does, and I'm I'm also really into all of the like fictional police related gags that kind of build up to to Sukasa and Noel getting to play good cop and bad cop. The you know, Keichiro and Sakuya playing up the, the traditional Japanese police drama routine and Hilltop and Jim uh being made to uh kind of circumvent exact copyright but kind of play American movie cops. <laughs> Because, like, look, there there are only so many bits about cops you can do that will actually land and be funny, especially now. Especially since those jokes are pretty clearly for the parents. Because yeah. no kid is going to be like, hey, you guys are RoboCop and Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop, but you flipped your roles. What's up with that? Like, RoboCop that, they that might be... get, because Japan really loves RoboCop, apparently. I mean, Robocop is really great, so I don't I like, don't blame them. Yeah, no, like, that's fair. But, like, doing these gags and then having the gangler be like, I 100% recognize the tropes that you're doing, but I'm not going to play along because, hey, my life is actually at stake here. And then you cap it off with Tsukasa being like, hey, what if instead of this, instead of these weird gag joke police things... We actually do our real grown-up people jobs and just ask him what's up. Yeah, seriously, her professionalism saving the day saved my soul right there. Because I might not be a, the biggest fan of the institution of the police as they are currently mythologized, but just seeing an officer telling everyone to calm down on the cop-on-the-edge shtick or the, the don't-play-by-the-rules or, or trying to intimidate people... And just instead doing the work, that's glorious. It. I want to see her team up with Nicholas Angel from Hot Fuzz. You know, just her. The two of them. They're both. They're. They're both hard nosed, by the book cops. And instead of like, ah, oh, it's bad to be by the book. It's like, no, that's honestly, that's how you get the work done. It's not jumping through the air, firing, whilst firing two pistols. It's just showing up and doing your work. It's glorious. I really love the the little like fantasy that Yoshi has, where they they're all like, "Oh, what do you what do you want to be when you grow up?" Like, I thought that was all really cute, and you know everyone's kind of playing to their strengths. But also, man, Sakia talking about how he wants to be a YouTuber like really threw me for a loop. Yeah, because like it's not something I'd imagine Toei acknowledging as a thing you can actually do, and like. Or even a thing that's real at all. But it absolutely is the kind of thing that a high school Sakuya would say he'd want to do with the rest of his life. Oh, 100%. Especially since he is definitely not the type to realize what a number being a professional YouTuber can do to people. Just, it's it messes with people. And it, it feels weird to go back and look at that moment, especially since there's been a lot of stuff over the past couple weeks well, a couple weeks from prominent or, you know, semi-prominent YouTubers talking about the colossal psychic weight that is being this kind of quasi-celebrity. 
who, you know, they get they get paid, sort of, for doing the things they do, but also you get people just trying to glom on to you, and just, ugh. I'll, I'll be putting links to a couple of the, the videos about that, and the as mentioned, if anyone's curious about it, but yeah, of course Sakia has just no concept of how little you want to do that, actually. I'm sure. I'm sure that for a lot of people it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's just, boy, it seems like a lot of work I would never want to do. But uh, Yoshi's little fantasy was also really cute and sweet, and it I was. appreciate that he was the like air quotes wife in the situation instead of fantasizing about settling down and having Sukasa be his housewife, because uh, that would have felt super skeevy. Really would. But the way they handled it, like, it was Tsukasa's face, but he wasn't fantasizing about settling down with Tsukasa. He wasn't, he didn't want to, like, run away with Tsukasa. He just wants someone that will show him the same kindness and compassion that Tsukasa has in this situation. But he, but he imagined sort of a whole different person by it being a man, but with Tsukasa's face. Which, like, look, I just thought it was nice to see Tsukasa playing a suit-wearing dude without feeling, you know, like, super skeezy like it was the last time. Yeah. Honestly, it wasn't even a big thing in the episode. It didn't get a remark. It just, you know, It just happened, happened to be Tsukasa's actress playing Yoshi's, Yoshi's husband. dream husband, yeah. And just, it's nice that nice Yoshi doesn't mind being thought of as more feminine and caretakery, and is also totally okay with admitting that they'd want a more masculine partner who, like you said, reminds them of Tsukasa. I mean, whatever my feelings about the truth of the matter and how it all turns out in the end, which, a bit mixed, but I can at least appreciate the cleverness of it, it's, it's actually quite refreshing that the ending of the episode didn't go in and tear any of that down directly. Like, it's, it's just, it just happened, and we aren't making fun of anyone about it. Like, Yoshi, on some level, in some way, thinks very highly of Tsukasa, and it's very sweet, and I like it. So for, for all that the episode, or for all that Noelle spent this episode not being honest with Tsukasa about the situation, I appreciate that he is remorseful for it. He's remorseful that he had to tell her, the, that he had to lie by omission, and that he says even if it was all a lie, in trying to protect someone that she believed to be innocent and trying to do good, Sukasa was, in his words, noble and dazzling. Which, I mean, look, that's a very good summation of Sukasa. He is true. correct there. Like, it's just phrasing it that specific way was this really kind moment of acknowledgement that Sukasa is exactly the sort of person and sort of police officer that she should be and that he and the whole team should all hope that they could be honestly she's just the kind of person we should all hope to be one day Fair she enough. takes herself seriously she's not afraid like she's you know she's a little afraid to talk about how nerdy she is but also she gets super into it in a way that is not like toxic to anyone else she's She's just a very good person, is that Tsukasa. And, okay, Sono, I know you weren't a fan of, like, Franken-Gangler, status quintuple, whatever, but I just want to be on record as, as loving the way it's put together because it makes, like, this, this weird body horror version of a Sentai robot. In this case, he's actually a Sentai robot 
made out of Sentai, made of like entire Sentai. So he's a Sentai robot basically made of other, admittedly in this case, creepy body horror Sentai teams. Like he's, he's, it's like he's a Sentai robot made of Sentai robots and I'm here for it. Like, yes, he's, he's still gross, but it's, it's just neat. Especially since all of the Lupin collection pieces were phones so that gives him a thematic thing to be a horrific monstrosity about, and I kind of wish that could have been externalized instead of just, you know, weird, horrible body horror rat monster with five safes stuck in it. If he didn't have the screws in his eyes, I'd be way more into the, like, creepy horror of him, because it is a thing they've done in some other Sentai. Um, mm. Maji Ranger had Chimera. There are a few others that I can't think of offhand, but Maji Ranger's, uh, Chimera is the one that mo I think Geki Ranger also had one, uh, but I can't quite think of what it was offhand. But just like I, I appreciate the the theming of it and the thought behind it as just I can't deal with the screws in the eyes. No, fair, fair, fair. Like I'm not I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm just yeah. No, it's like I I agree. I basically I'm agreeing with what you're saying. I'm okay. definitely down for, for all of that aspect of it. I just hate looking at it. Which, you know, fair. Uh, but, uh, and I think that's all for 31, so let's let's move on into 32. The fight choreography and camera work in 32 are incredible. Like, the, the duel is so incredibly intense, and the fight that leads up to the five of them surrounding the status quintuple was so visually great where they've got kind of the fisheye lens going and the camera's moving and everyone's kind of jumping and rolling. It was really cool to watch. Yeah, nowhere to lie, dude. Because whoever is responsible for that, be it Katsuya or some cinematographer whose name I don't know, whoever deserves some kind of award because it was really nice. And also, even even if it's not the best opening theme... I really dig on the orchestral version they play during the final strike on the status quintuple, because I am a huge sucker for an orchestral edit of a tokusatsu opening. I mean, honestly, a good orchestral take will do a lot, just for the emotion of the scene, but also to keep an opening going up in my esteem, which is some, which this one is, because whether it's an acquired taste factor or some Pavlovian conditioning, the Lupat theme has definitely been growing on me something fierce. And that orchestra just, mwah, just yeah, no, helped it it's so much. It's like, re yeah, like real, real good. Yeah, real, real good. That I'm, for all that I will always be down on Gaim, the orchestral edit of Just Live More is exquisite. Like, I'm I'm so weak for these. Look, when they're done well, like, you, you gotta recognize when it works. Credit where it's due, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the thing that I really love about 32 and... It's really what we've been talking about all along, that it puts this pin in the idea of good and bad not being inherent qualities that people have. It's not something that someone just is, and in Noel's words, it's a choice. Yeah, it is, which honestly makes for a nice commentary on 31, and adds in some of that sweet, sweet nuance that y'all know I'm all about. Also, just to be a bit called it for a second because, uh, indulge me, I was really happy to see them 
do a flashback to the who gives a crap to your about your justice scene from way back when because in our previous episode of laser knees i totally brought up that scene myself and it's just it's nice it's fun to feel like i'm on the same wavelength as as kimura at well this wasn't kimura but as the people making the show i'm sure kimura had some hand in it since you know she's the lead writer and therefore would direct the the pacing of the show um, so she was probably like, hey, this is a story beat that I want to hit in this episode. And then uh, Yamatoya wrote around that, I would mm. assume. I, I assume mean, that's how this works. Gotta imagine. But Noelle is making these choices at who to be and trying to bridge both sides of the Lupin Rangers and the Pot Rangers because he knows they need each other or... There can't, like, without each other, there can't be a peaceful future in which the gangler are stopped. And when Keichiro is faced with the reality of why the Lupin Rangers are doing what they're doing, and that they're making the choice to do this because the lives of their innocent loved ones are on the line, he also has to make a choice. And it is so good, like, the, the suit acting in that moment, just amazing. As is him also being the first one in the show to find out that Noel's got some stuff going on that he doesn't talk about, because unless there's some weird translation stuff going on, dude totally said our loved ones, which implies that he's got someone missing too, which, uh, you know, that's exciting. I mean, he did mention back in the episode with Kyrie that he's also lost someone that he's trying to bring back. Oh, and that's that true. was that was kind of how he bridged that gap with Kyrie about how serious he is about getting the Lupin collection back and how he he's in this for more than it just being his job. Uh, but I'm, I am glad that they brought it up again here and reminded us that, yeah, he's, this is, getting the Lupin collection back is his job, which is how he relates to the Pot Rangers, but he is also fighting for someone, which is why he's a Lupin Ranger. And, you know, again, Keitro has to make the choice he Keitro wins the duel he corners yeah. noel and he can he can do it he can find out who all of them are and he can arrest the criminals but then it would be letting those innocent lives be lost and he chooses to throw out the win and throw out the letter of the law and let noel take the victory because protecting those people is the most important part of justice. And Noel knows that Keitro made that choice. He watches him do it. He watches Keitro make a choice that goes against Keitro's ideals of the law, but it's the choice that is good. Like, to, to make the choice to win and find out their identities over protecting people would be the choice a... would be you know, the, the not, the evil, not, yeah, not so much evil, well, but you know, it would be the, the choice of a, of a bad person. Yeah. Cause like you can't be, you can't, even if you're lawful good, that's, that's like a lawful stupid sort of thing. Cause, oh, Hey, you, you upheld the law and like, Hey, 30 people died. Good job breaking it hero. Just. It's terrible, but I just I just want to say, like, hot dang, do I love that shot where you see that Keichiro could have won, 
just that flashback where he's got the gun to Noel's head. Like he knows he could win. Noel knows he should have won. He had Noel dead to rights, but apparently his hatred of crime, which he hates so much, is outweighed by his understanding that, yeah, you've got to protect the citizenry. And he's a good, good law boy. It's just, I love, I love him, and I'm glad that we finally have a version of Keitro coming back around to that, that Keitro that we loved in the first third of the show. Yeah. Without, because every time they try to make him backslide, and I'm like, guys, just stop it. Stop trying to make it happen. He's already evolved past it. We saw him give up uh, his re- a relationship with a girl he was, you know, who was clearly perfect for him, so that he could pursue doing the right thing here. So anyway, I just like that's that's really what it is when he makes these choices. He's putting the good of the people above what he wants, and that's that's the good choice. Yeah, and it's not easy for him, and sometimes it costs him something, and that's why you are even more excited that he makes the choices he makes. Um, and and speaking of considerations of what is lawful and what is good, here's a lawful evil thing to consider. Gosh's Gangler Experimentation Lab. <laughs> like, holy crap, we, we got to see her doing some of her mad science, and I was so excited. It was really and, good. Yeah, especially since she's just like, yeah, I'm just gonna... Huh, this should be working, but it's not quite... I'm gonna take you back to the lab to fix you up, buddy. Because, honestly, it's much better set up than Zamigo, TBQH. And and it's already having some amazing payoffs, which makes me so happy. Because, like, look, if Zamigo's gonna be this weird thing we saved for the last ten episodes or whatever, I mean, I guess that's fine. As long as we get more payoffs on Gosh's flair for doing immoral and horrific experiments on sapient living things, and I'm guessing she's not really big on anesthesia, just it from sure what doesn't seem that way with the fact that he was awake and able to run like heck. Yep. Uh, out of the lab. Yeah, she's um, she's terrible, and I hope she ends up being. Like, I hope, like, I imagine Zemigo is going to be, like, a big thing near the end, whatever. But I, I hope she at least gets some time where she gets to be our main villain for, I don't know, another eight episodes. At least up until 40, because, I mean, I'd prefer her to be the end boss, but... But just give us some good episodes of her messing with stuff. Yeah, just kidnapping humans for terrible, horrific experiments, more bizarre body horror monsters, preferably without eye bolts. Stuff like that. It'd be great. Um, and I think that's all of our all of our high points as well. Yeah? I think so. Yeah. Good, good episodes. So I think that brings us now to our look at the Lupin Collection. And, and uh, Sona, yeah. why don't you start us off? Uh, we have a whopping eight collection pieces <laughs> to look at this, yeah, this we do. episode. Um, though only a few of them actually had any powers shown off, most of them were kind of glossed over, but they did appear and they were collected, uh, or they were at least named, so we're gonna talk about them, and they're all pretty easily recognizable to anyone who has watched a lot of modern mid-2000s to present Sentai. At the beginning of 31, we see the Lupin Rangers collect the Tirano version of Aba Ranger's Dino Brace. 
Yeah, and there's there's a lot of back and forth to be had on the proper way to translate its name, because translating song titles straight across to French and then to, back to English is sometimes quite difficult. That said, uh, and please forgive my French pronunciation, uh, Prens le Desus, I have no idea. I have, I, I've never even studied French. Um, but it, it translates to take it on, which could be a few things. Like there's there's an Ario Speedwagon song called Take It On The Run, or a song that is just called Take It On by a band I've never heard of called Sick Individuals, which, just going on record, that's an awesome name for a band. But is it's mostly worth mentioning because the song features Jack, which is small j, big A-C-Q, which is very close to early sentai slash proto sentai depending on how you want to parse things uh jack which is big j a c a k q which is which one I just... that i desperately want to watch and i think is fully subbed now so i should get oh, on that sweet i'm not sure um, so... about that but i do know there was a group subbing it yeah but uh all that said i'm going to let ranger wiki just have this one because uh i'm gonna say I'm going to go with them and say, in a weird sidelong translation thing, because again, translation is very hard to go get straight across, um, I choose to say it's Take On Me by AHA, mostly because, as I've said before, I love me some 80s new wave. And I mean, the line in the song is, take on me, take me on, so I'm willing to hand that one to them, mostly because I really love that song. Yeah, no, it is a classic for a reason. But, uh, the main collection piece in 31 is Deca Ranger's Deca license, specifically set to show the innocent judgment symbol. And it's a collection piece that switches good and evil mindsets or tendencies or whatever. Um, and especially in this case of making an incredibly heinous criminal into someone who just wants to do good and lead the best life they can, I felt like that was a really incredible choice to visually drive that home. Especially, you know, kids recently will be familiar with Decoranger because of how much Decoranger content has happened in the past year or two. And I thought that was just such a good choice, uh, so much so that when I saw it and realized what it was representing, I got kind of weepy. I mean, that's legit. Um, cause also, because Decoranger was... makes me super emotional. <laughs> also fair. Also fair. Um... And I, I think that is why they gave it the name they did, because the name of the piece is Upside Down, which, yeah, <laughs> that's what it does. Uh, the name, uh, near as I can tell, comes from a Diana Ross song of the same name. And hey, it's always a good time to bring in some Diana Ross. That's, that is true. Uh, in 31, we're also introduced to the collection piece Bad Boys, which is a recolored green and purple Moby Rates from Gokaiger, which apparently has the power to neutralize Good Striker and whatever he's getting himself up to. And which, you know, makes sense, because he's a Good Striker, and they're bad boys. I, I wasn't sure if there were other songs called Bad Boys, but I just, I just figured they're going for Inner Circle's iconic Bad Boys, because besides being one of the only songs I found with the name. It was also the theme song from the long-running proto-reality show, and also kind of low-key 
propaganda for like cops being, you know, ubermensch that must be obeyed in all ways. Uh, cops, uh, which you know, it, I thought it worked out well as both an inversion of Gokaiger, who would never glorify the police, and as a way to again steal the power from Goody. It's it's just a it's a fun little inversion, and I mean, inner circles bad boys might be a little more recent than most of the things, but man, I gotta believe they've heard that song. I mean, like, it's that it's, was... It has to be because that's such an like if if someone says bad boys, that's instantly what you're gonna think of. Yeah, I mean, either that or the Michael Bay movies of the same name, but I'm pretty sure those things got their name from that song anyway. So. Uh, in 31, we're also shown a fully read Magiphone, which makes another appearance in 32 when they crack all five safes together. And given that it's placed in Status Quintuple's chest, and when that glowed, he was able to breathe fire, I'm willing to assume it's specifically in reference to Maji Red, uh, but it's definitely a Magiphone, uh, and not the Wolzaphone, because he has a slightly different logo. I did not remember that. Uh, I thought it might be, we thought it might be a Wolzophone because it was bright red, mm. but I then went and looked it up and it's definitely uh, the Maji Ranger team logo and not the Wolzard logo. That's what I thought, because I, look, that is one of the handful of, I, I recognized most of the ones this time through. I felt very proud of myself, but like you said, they're all from more contemporary series, but I, this one I recognized immediately. Um, and it's called, appropriately enough, your Burning Love, which is, of course, uh, from Elvis Presley's Burning Love. Uh, in the beginning of 32, we're finally given a name for one of Gauche's collection pieces, which whose name translates to Heal the World. Uh, we've seen it here and there, but have not actually addressed it until now, which is why now we're putting it in this section. And it is a repaint of the binoculars mode of the GoBusters Sogon Blade. And the name of it uh, is famously one of Michael Jackson's early 90s hits, and uh, is really funny given Gauche's uh, proclivities. Yes. Uh, the ones we it... expounded on at length earlier. Yeah. But uh, we did mention it, I believe, last time, uh, when its counterpart, the camera from GoBusters, was uh, the the collection piece for the clip show. That's true, yeah. Uh, so this is why, and I know we've, again, we've seen the binoculars, she's swapped it in and out of her safe before, but this is the first time we've directly addressed it, so this is when I decided to. So along with the red Maji phone and the purple and green Moby rates, the status quintuple's other three safes contain Bokenger's Excellular, Goanger's GoPhone, and Shinkenger's Shotophone, uh, which makes... Shinkenger, Goanger, and Bokenger, the second, third, and fourth previous Sentai to have two collection pieces after GoBusters. Shinkenger's Lion Origami was one of the first collection pieces we retrieved way back in the beginning of the show. Uh, Goanger also had their Go Rotor as a previous collection piece, and Bokenger is kind of on the end of the list because it hasn't been in an episode yet, but we do see a version of the scope shot from Bokenger on the table of collection pieces during the opening theme. And uh, the the Shinkenger Shodaphone is called Wake Me Up, 
Uh, Ranger Wiki says it's a reference to a song by Aviki. Avicii, I don't know how to pronounce it, of the same name, which is a defensible position, but I'm instead going to go with a shortened version of Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham, because, I mean, the, the Avicii one is pretty recent, and they don't seem to do a lot of recent songs, whereas Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham is, uh, it's a classic, and is is a bit more in line with the songs being referenced here and really makes me hope that eventually there's one called Careless Whisper cuz that's a great song. Y'all y'all know George Michael, Careless Whisper? Got that got that sax. Anyway, um if you heard the saxophone riff, you would know it. <laughs> you and have I'm, heard I'm that. I'm sure. I'm sure that yeah. I have. It's just I can't quite pull it up in my brains. Yeah, that's fine. Um I was also ready to guess Evanescence's Bring Me to Life, but that is one, too recent, and two, despite how Wake Me Up was a big part of that song, it's not actually the name of it. Yeah, I mean, my my first gut instinct, and I knew it wasn't this, because it just it doesn't follow the trend of where they pull songs from, uh, the show uh, Keitai uh, Sosakon 7, the opening theme to that is also called Wake Me Up. Oh, nice. I still want to watch. Uh, it actually that. might be "Wake You Up." It's either "Wake oh. You Up" or "Wake Me Up," but it's that's the first thing I think of when I hear that. Fair dues, yeah. But I'm like, that definitely doesn't follow the pattern of where they're pulling songs from. It's yeah. absolutely not that. Yeah, so it's one of those other songs, but um, I'm going to be putting the one by Wham in the as mentioned. Actually, I'll probably put the other one in there too. I don't know. We'll find out. Um. And the Excellular is called Call Me, which feels as if it can only be referring to the Blondie song of the same name. Because I, feel that... like, I feel like Call Me is such an ironic name for the Excellular because it's. I feel like it's the one that's least used as a phone out of all yeah. of these. I think that is, yeah. I don't think I recall it ever really being used as a phone. Like, I'm sure Mr. Voice, like, talks on it sometimes but like the, I'm, i feel like they do it like maybe once or twice and i feel like they mostly use it to communicate like within the robot i yeah. think they can use it for that but primarily they use it as like a kind of an arbitrary dbz scouter yeah or for, you know for treasures or like the sickest transformation device it really is because nothing beats, oh, hey, we need friction to get this going. Like, there was that time, that, I think it was Sakura just, like, used a bullet? Or was that uh, No, that was, that was Boken Black. Oh, Masumi's, okay. Masumi's the one who uses a bullet. Akashi uses Ryuan's sword once. Yeah. Um, Sa Sakura does have a really good one, though, in her episode with Boken Silver. Um, she does it on the ground, but she, it's because she's on the ground sobbing because she thinks they killed Boken Silver. Yeah, and she just and it's rears right up after her she arm. screams for them to to stop gloating, to shut up about gloating about it. God, and that was so causes good. the Demon King to recoil in fear. Which, again, if for all of those of you who have seen Bokenger, that's the right reaction for him to have. It, God, it's such a moment. Yeah, it is. Um, and finally, the GoPhone, 
has the distinction of being called Crossroad. There was some back and forth in me because I wanted it to be a callback to Bone Thugs and Harmony's seminal Crossroads, which, it, you know, if you were a hashtag 90s kids, you probably, I, I don't think it would be possible to escape knowledge of that song. Again, I, I probably know it, but I just don't know it by name by and artist. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I am going to give this one to Ranger Wiki, because they made a callback to Robert Johnson's Crossroad, also known as Crossroad Blues, which is way cooler and slightly more thematically relevant, because a crossroad is famously where Robert Johnson is said to have met the devil to make a classic soul for talent deal. And um, I just, I think that's way cooler. It definitely uh, feels it, more it, in line with this monster. Yeah, like, okay, what is what is Ghosh going to give you? The one that's like, yeah, you know, one day I'll die and we'll meet at the crossroads between life and death and you won't be lonely anymore. Or, hey, what's up? There's a devil at the crossroads and you can make a deal for power. It will only cost you your soul. I mean, that's literally what she's... She's ripping the souls out of other ganglers and yep. putting together a monster for more power. Yep, that's... So, yeah. But um, I don't actually know the song very well, but I do know that Robert Johnson is said to have, have had dealings with a crossroads devil, which I think we can all agree is the coolest devil. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's lots of there's lots of, you know, evil creatures and demons and devils and fiends but the one like it's you know you do the ritual you go to the crossroads you talk to him he makes a deal he's scary as hell literally and you know but on the other hand it's also the one who give you a thing which is better than most of them do sure it costs you your soul but uh i mean you ain't, you ain't using it are you i'm i'm kidding please no one go to any crossroads and sell your, sell your soul to the devil. That's a terrible idea. I want it on record. <laughs> I am anti that. Not Just condoning saying. that behavior. Yeah. Um, now, finally, do we have any predictions about what we're what's coming up in the show, or the kinds of things we'd like to come up in the show? Uh, just since they make such a note of heal the future with Noel like seeing it and being like, "Okay, guys, we got to go right now." And then Kogure just bailing out on a conversation with the whole team at the very mention of it, and that, you know, Noel saw it, and he's like, I gotta go talk to Noel about this. I'm wondering if maybe they're gonna use it to reveal that Noel really is the descendant of Lupin. Especially, you know, they're hint they hinted at the fact that Lupin is the one that knew how to make the collection usable by people, which is how he and is basically did the same thing that Noel does now. And that, you know, maybe the ones that Noel is trying to get back are his Jigen, Goemon, and Fujiko. Or, I don't know, probably just Fujiko. Given well, it's, it's, it's probably go. like, uh, Figen, Moemon, and Kajiko. Wink. Just very, very, like, similar to, but legally distinct from... Because I just think there's there's just something so hilarious about the thought of doing with Lupin the Third what Lupin the Third did with Arsene Lupin. <laughs> just like, yeah, this is fanfic. You can't hate on us for making this giant fanfic that makes money. <laughs> and Monkey Punch over here just like, 
see ya. I don't think I don't see you. I know, I know what you're up to, but I can't I, I, do, I can't do a dang thing about it. You can't do a thing about it. I'm mad, and I appreciate the irony. Because I feel like Monkey Punch would at least appreciate the irony. Yeah, it's just, it's a very Lupin the Third themed guess, but given that I, apparently what we know about Heal the Future is that it can see into people's personalities, like, Noelle's the one that bailed. He's the one that knows what it does. So wh I want to know, is that the thing he's trying to hide? What's the, what's the thing he's running from? Look, he's got something he's running from, and I love that because he is shifty as heck in, in this re really roundabout way. Because, like, look, don't get me wrong. I don't, that's not a slam. I think he's a great character, and his shiftiness makes me so happy. Because he has never told anyone the whole truth about anything since he got on screen. None, zero things has he been 100% about. Normally I'd be annoyed because it, it feels like it's trying to set up a mystery box thing, but honestly the series is being so good about letting this stuff develop on its own without like, hmm, what is this mystery? That, yeah, they like, they I, don't shove it down, they don't shove the mystery down your throat. Yeah, it's just, every now and again it's just like, oh yeah, this guy, he's got some stuff going on. It's gonna be fun when we find out what that is, isn't it? Instead of, instead of playing all coy and stuff, it's great. I really hope that if and when we ever get to see the, the, the movie, we find out like that Herlock Sholmes drops a bunch of sick old hints about it. Oh, but he won't be in the series yet, will he? Well, maybe not. I don't know. We'll um, see. I don't know, because usually they use the movie to introduce the Sixth Ranger. Yeah. So that he might be a little bit. Yeah, well, we'll see. I, I have We have no information. We're very excited to see it, though, because I, I really enjoy it. Well, I don't want to say for you. But I feel like you're probably pretty excited. I definitely, like, I want to see it. Yeah. Uh, so, do we have any last-minute thoughts, or do you think we're gonna, we're gonna call this one closed? Uh, no, I really, I think mostly that's it. Alright, then. So, for the Toe Network, and us here at Laser Knees, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sonic. And don't get kicked by a horse and die.